Behind every song is a voice, and every voice is a story. The journeys behind the voices brings life to the music that shapes each of us. Brought to you by Visible Music College and in partnership with the largest online Christian music site new release today, this is Behind the Tunes, and I am your host, Austin Black. Together, we will explore those journeys, the journeys behind the artists that shape the landscape of today's music. We're today on Behind the Tunes from the Visible Music College Studios with Micah Tyler. Check him out at micahtyler.com. Micah, thanks so much for hanging out today, man. Come on, man. Excited to be here, hanging out with you in my beautiful uh, green room, dressing room, Sunday school room in uh, North Dakota. That's right. Oh, nice, uh, uh, warm North Dakota right now, I'm sure. Now, you are Toasty. a Beaumont Texan. Am I reading that correctly? So well, I, I I wish Beaumont's the big city. So okay. we're like thirty miles north, a little town called Buna. Beaumont's where you like took your dates like to the prom. Like that's the <laughs> that's the big city kind of thing. So now I live in the unincorporated township of Buna, Texas. Lived there my entire life, born and raised, and uh, and we built a house a couple of years ago. So the roots have hit the bottom. Like we're we're there. You're there. You're in Buna now. Well, I did. Okay. Well, I I should have read a little deeper then, but I did some studying up on Beaumont. So we're going to pretend okay. that, that Beaumont is that you're with your prom date in Beaumont, all right? Yep. And I found a few things about Beaumont that are pretty interesting. And uh, let's okay. see let's see if you've experienced these things. The one, and this sent me down a rabbit hole that I was unprepared for. And I texted my wife okay. earlier. I said, the amount of time I've spent reading about this is embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, Beaumont has the world's largest working fire, fire hydrant. <laughs> Yeah, buddy. And it's yeah. 24 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah, it's right next to the fire museum. Apparently, it, it's it's colored like a Dalmatian. Like, it's it's white with black spots on it. Apparently, whenever the Disney 101 Dalmatians came out, this was like a promo that they used, and they sent them out to random cities. I have, to this day, it's not like we're like the fire, you know, fireman's capital of the world. It, for some reason, you just drive through downtown Beaumont. There's all these little, you know, buildings and like businesses and stuff. There's the fire museum, and there's this giant just fire hydrant sitting there. That's shit like it's kind of like a Dalmatian. So, it, I mean, I've lived in Southeast Texas my entire life. Still, a double take every time you see the giant <laughs> fire hydrant. Well, that's wow. Well, that's one of the rabbit holes I went down. Was why? Why did Disney give Beaumont a fire hydrant? And there is no reason. There is, they just, no. it's like they just spun a wheel and said, Beaumont. You guys win. Right. <laughs> I, my, my thought was they're trying to get it to Houston. They probably just got tired of carrying it. They're like, we'll just leave it here. This is close enough. <laughs> we've, run out of, we've run out of energy. We can't do, we can't uh, carry this thing anymore. But it's close enough. So while it is the biggest working fire hydrant, it is not the world's largest fire hydrant, which is the okay. other rabbit hole I went down. Which is embarrassing. Yeah. Who so has that? Well, so the second biggest is Manitoba, Canada. It's thirty feet tall, 
And okay. it was built by some firemen, and it looks like, if you see a picture of it, it looks like just some firemen were like, let's just build a fire hydrant. We got a, we got a couple. By memory. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so it doesn't right. look good. It's not impressive. Doesn't look like a Dalmatian. So, yeah. yeah, like it's just like. Still, still feeling good about us right now. Yeah, but you should. Okay, so who's number one? Right, now, you get number, number two. Well, you're going to feel good no matter what. But number one is in Columbia, South Carolina is 40 oh. feet tall, all right? It was okay. built by an artist named Blue Sky who admitted that he used a lot of LSD back in the day. I think that part's important. So far, it's adding up, yeah. And so he built this thing to purposefully, this, was the, I, this is a direct quote, he purposefully overscaled this one to dwarf Manitoba and Beaumont. <laughs> this guy's like, I'm going to dwarf their fire hydrants. Like, what this guy doing? was out for he was out for Dalmatian blood. <laughs> like that is wow! Like what a, a what a move! It's like what a, I think he's you know, though, LSD. <laughs> I mean, listen, if this guy is bragging about this, and, and the fact that he's got Beaumont just in his lexicon, like he's just pulling that out, like it's just part <laughs> of his story. You know what? I'll take it. You know what? If you want to keep Southeast Texas on your mind, that's, that's great. Right. But but does his fire hydrant work? No. See, that's no, the thing. it doesn't. That's the thing. Yeah. You guys so, are living rent-free. You're living rent-free in his yeah. head. Rent-free in his head, and if a fire breaks out, this guy is in trouble. But Us, here's... Open the hose. Get, get out the mega hose. Right. Here's where you that's absolutely win. We don't have a mega, we don't <laughs> have a mega hose. So it, it, no matter if it works or not, I mean, unless there's just a, a couple of giant kids who want to play in the street in it, there's no real purpose for us to have this. I guess you could like just douse it. If the fire is just very conveniently located right in front of the hole, we could douse it at that point. But aside from that, we they've not. The, I'm waiting for a movie to come out now that Disney's making about a giant hose, and maybe then we'll get to complete the set. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is if you let some kids play in front of that thing. They're not going to oh. make it because it's... It, it's They're 15, liable to end up in Manitoba. <laughs> it's 1,500 gallons per minute as opposed to 300. That's a lot right. of water coming at you. Roughly five times the amount. <laughs> but here's the thing about... This is where you guys, again, you just come out on top against Columbia. Is currently, long story short, which I know the story, but we ain't got time for this, yeah. is the one in Columbia is currently in storage. <laughs> the storage. What do you store a forty foot fire hydrant? I mean, listen, it, that that's a nice way of saying nobody wanted it. <laughs> There's nowhere to display it. Not like us, downtown Beaumont, right down from Crockett Street, right down from from the Energy Building, right there next to the, the next to the museum is the is a Disney classic <laughs> right there. We have no affiliation whatsoever outside <laughs> of the fact that we have it, but we got it. And we'll crank it up and put out a fire that's conveniently located right in front of us. Here's what I'm going to give you a free idea. You can take it, leave yeah. it, whatever you want to do. I just think you ought to maybe talk to your management and say, you know what? I'd like to book all these fire hydrants. I want to play shows at the fire hydrants around the world. Oh, wow. Put, we'll call it the Putting Out Fires Tour. That's great. <laughs> I love it. This is, I mean, it's, it's already right yourself. It's all yours. Great. All okay. right. All right, so that was the so two other things real quick with Beaumont is 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 a Gator Country from CMT's Gator Nine One One is right there in Beaumont too. It's like Gator Nine One One season. 
Gator 911 was a show that came out for one season. It was, it was right on the heels of Duck Dynasty and yeah. Swamp People. They're like, we got to find more rednecks that are wrestling down <laughs> Gators. And luckily, Beaumont, Texas is a guy named Gary Sarge. And here's, but here's my favorite thing. So they did one season of it, and we all watched it because, like, legitimately, it's like a guy, uh, hello, is this Gator 911? We got a Gator in our pool here in Nederland. And they go over and they grab it. And these are not zoologists, these are boys. <laughs> Who just grew up out in the wetlands and are just like because we're so we're very much southeast Texas. Like I'm 30 miles from the Louisiana border. Okay. So it's a very blurry line between Cajun and Texan right there where we live. <laughs> and so and so they uh so these guys just go wrestle snakes and like they're just they're whatever, they're just grabbing stuff. It lasts for one season, it went out. But Gary, the guy who runs it, and he still owns Gator Country, which is it it hosts the biggest alligator in all the southern United States, big alley, like 13 feet long. Um, it's, we went there like, like you go there like on a field trip when you're a kid and stuff like that so he had the bug he's like now nah, I think we still have a good show here so he was going to independently make it my brother was in college at the time um, getting a communications degree from the local university and I, where our music thing was kind of taken off a little bit in like southeast Texas and I had done like the news there before well the, one of the guys who worked for the news found my brother did like was doing communications he did some video work and stuff like that he goes hey listen i'm gonna pitch on an idea gary sarge is looking for someone he's gonna pay blank dollars an episode and dan goes what like it's pretty good money and he's like he's like, okay so what do i do he goes oh yeah gary's just gonna run around in like swamps and pools and backyards and you'll just follow him with the camera as he grabs uh things that are gonna try to kill him and Daniel said, there's not an amount of money that you can – I mean, again, it's not like the trained professional. It's you and Gary jumping in a swamp and hoping things work out. Like just just hoping that you're not right. filming a murder or <laughs> filming a, a gator deciding not to mess with Gary and come after the camera. That's so right. so Gator 911 was one season. It did its thing. Uh, and ever since – been the show never, never happened again. But Gator Country still raging over there. Fun fact, though, Hurricane Rita came through. Yep. Had a ton of had a ton of floods, and like half the gators got out. Like, can I just tell you a sentence you never want to hear? Half the gators got out. Gone. But it gave. But Gary had to work at him. And all of a sudden, now he's like, he's, the, the industry was booming. It's just picking it's a, up. It's a it's it's a great it's a great a little backup plan. If things aren't going very well, just like you know what? Let's let's open up the uh, fire hydrants, flood, flood Beaumont a little bit, get these gators moving. We gotta call, keep the economy. We gotta grease the wheels. You want, you want the you want the Gator nine one one hotline to ring. You you, you let the floodwaters out. That's what you gotta oh, do. That's incredible. And then last but not least, old Beaumont is giving us one of four in Texas happy yeah. half wit muffler men. A twenty five foot man holding a muffler. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I this is this is the greatest commercial for Beaumont <laughs> that we have. A fire hydrant that is too big that technically works, but you can't do anything with it. We have a large amount of gators caught by a guy named Gary. Um, and we do have a muffler man who is just this giant guy holding a, a muffler. Um, and it, it's just at a decrepit shop on 11th Street in Beaumont, Texas. And his face looks like it was made from nightmares. Like it is just if a if a terrified person had a dream about a muffler man, like they would scratch the surface of how creepy this guy really looks. He doesn't look friendly. He looks like he's coming after you with a muffler. Yeah. Well, just know 
I'm sending this interview to the Chamber of Commerce there in Beaumont. And so you'll probably be on the front of a magazine pretty soon. Hey, that's why I live in Buna. <laughs> we, we, I, I just, I'm only visiting Beaumont. Just but visiting. I've, I've, I've been, I've, I'm well aware and familiar with all of these, uh, these landmarks there in Beaumont. I love it. Oh, well, we're here on Behind the Tunes with Mike and Tyler here from the Visible Music College Studios. Check him out at MikeandTyler.com. Well, as great as Beaumont, I'm sure Buna is. We're not here to talk about that today. Mike, tell me what got you into music to begin with. Oh, got, got me in music. Uh, so was raised in a house that loved music, but no one was a musician. Like nobody played an instrument, anything like that. But like if my mom was cleaning the house, she's cranking, you know, doo-wop music or like 70s funk or Michael Bolton. If my dad's changing the oil outside, he's got, you know, Willie Nelson or Sawyer Brown or like 80s country or hair metal or something like that's going. So like just some music was always in the house. And so we love music. We love like, you know, just we would like to sit in the kitchen, just listen to music, gather with that, play records and everything. And um, but didn't have anything to do with that. Sang a little bit in like the children's choir at church, you know, like just like for like Christmas little you know cantatas and stuff like that. Nothing major. Um, uh, didn't really when I was when I was 18, though, became a youth pastor at a little church. So I, got, I felt called to ministry when I was 17. Um, started dating a girl named Casey. Uh, my senior year of high school, we've been married for 20 years in February. All right. Um, and so, but her grandfather was the chairman of the deacons at a little church in Buna, uh, and they needed a youth director. Now, I, I felt called to be a youth pastor, had a youth pastor, make a huge impact on my life. And so I knew I wanted to do it. And so at 18, they're like, hey, would you come be the youth director? I said, well, what's the difference between a youth director and a youth pastor? And then, and like that, a youth pastor in my mind is like, I'm preaching sermons and I'm like taking kids on mission trips and I'm really investing. And they're like, yeah, could you just like make sure that they get pizza every once in a while and they don't tear things off the wall? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. That's great. <laughs> so I, then I went in and, and I, I, I was like, I, you can hire me for that, but I'm going to go in there and do my best. So I got in there and like, really, I was, I was a youth pastor, some kids who were like a year younger than me. Right. But, I mean, God used that time to really just, like, grow me, and, and I really just kind of grow up alongside of these kids and, like, taught me how to lead. So, like, that was really sweet. Um, did that for three years. Got married at 20 to Casey. Um, and then around the same time, our group had grown to, like, 30. It was a little church of, like, 100 people. So, we have 30 kids in the back. Like, that's a third of the congregation. And I was like, man, God, this is this is awesome. Like, what can I do to make these nights more special? And uh, and I just started noticing other youth groups would have like a kid who'd play guitar and like lead a couple Tomlin songs before the guy would preach. And I was like, what if I bought a guitar? So I bought a guitar, hoping that one of the kids may like learn to play it, and they didn't. So I I learned to open the eyes of my heart over the course of two months. Got in there and played on a Wednesday, preached my message. They sang along. I was like, this is awesome. I played open the eyes of my heart every week for the next like three weeks, and finally they're like. Can you learn anything else? And I was like, give me a couple months. So then I had like two songs. Then I had a set list, which is awesome. So no, I, but I started like leading worship for the youth group. And then I had other youth pastor buddies who were just cheap. They called me up and say, hey, would you want to come and lead at our retreat or our camp or our weekend or service or whatever? And I would say, yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks for asking. Like, oh, no, thanks for doing it because we can't afford to bring in like a real band, which I, like, I thought was a Pinocchio of worship leaders. Like, I want to be a real boy. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> And so just started doing that and, uh, and, and really wasn't one of those things that like we were, had a record deal or a tour bus was picking us up or anything like that. But when I was 27, been married for seven years, been playing guitar for like six, seven years at that point, had two kiddos at the time. Our third was yet to be on the way. Um, God just radically changed what faithfulness looked like inside of our heart. So like 
we'll never stand before Jesus one day and him say, well done, that good and successful CCM artist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or fill in the blank, successful podcaster or successful, what success is not what we're striving for. It's faithfulness. Like we want to be a faithful servant. So for me, I can only be faithful to what God is putting in front of me, what he's leading me to and what we feel like we're called to. And so youth ministry was something that we did for nine years. And honestly, we'd still be doing youth ministry right now. If God did not just radically shift, you know, just just what faithfulness looked like and so for us it just it was all of a sudden there was this light that was just kind of coming up in us when it came to music and we were scared we didn't have you know someone inviting us on the road to like figure this thing out we just we just wanted to be faithful so we sold over half of what we owned um bought a single wide mobile home put it on some borrowed land um i started driving a sausage delivery truck uh i started substitute teaching at an elementary school i started mowing grass um because i had a family i was trying to make ends meet Meanwhile, playing, you know, two or three youth camps in the summer and three or four retreats during the, the, the spring and just like putting myself out there to say, hey, if you guys need something, I'd love to come and help out with it. And luckily, being a youth pastor for nine years gave me a lot of um, connections to youth ministries in the area. So they were I mean, I really I, Southeast Texas, Beaumont included, just really, really gave me the chance to come in and like, you know, do some things and like play for their events stuff like that. The local radio station. KLBT and Beaumont, um, they, the guy was from Buna, and so I just cold called him. I said, hey, is this Jeff? He said, yeah. Hey, this is Micah Tyler. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do music. I made a little CD. Um, I don't know if it's good. My mom likes it, but she's not going to tell me the truth. So, like, can you can, I, can you just tell me if this is good? And I had to, I thought to myself, i got to come up with something to really seal the deal and talk him into doing this. And I, I thought, I know exactly what I'll do. I said, hey – if you'll listen to this and give me some feedback, I'll take you to Chili's. <laughs> like he said, he said, yes, it's still the deal. It's like, this is where business happens. That's right. So, so needless to say, two weeks later, or, or a week later, um, I met Jeff in Silsby, Texas at a Chili's, and he and I gave him a piece of paper that had all the song tiles and like a little room for notes if he wanted to leave notes. And then I gave him the CD, I listened to it from beginning to end, eight songs. And then had notes about each one. Like he was, I could not, can't tell you how kind that was for him to do. And they weren't playing any local artists at the time. Uh, but all of a sudden, he just tells you, hey, this song right here sounds this. And I love how this thing, and I like what you're saying here. And then he said, and this song right here, it's a song called New. He said, this song sounds good on the radio. And I said, what? I said, do you think it will? He goes, I've been playing it all weekend. Have you not heard it yet? Well, I didn't have the heart to tell him that the, the signal is in Beaumont. It only reaches about 15 miles. Well, I live about 22 miles away. And I just said, hey, next time you play it, would you give me a seven-minute heads up so I can drive to Silsby Walmart and listen to this? So needless to say, the first time I heard myself on the radio was in the Silsby Walmart parking lot. And I, and I you know, shed a little tear. I thought to myself, I'm probably not the only person crying in this, in this Walmart parking lot right now because <laughs> it's Walmart. So who knows? But yeah, so that's that's kind of the the long answer of me getting, you know, really it started off with just music being in my house, not the way to do music, not the training to do music, not the business model of doing music. Um, when I was in third grade, I'll never forget our third grade teacher was getting to know us and we had a little like get to meet you little paper we filled out where it's like, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite snack? What's your favorite pizza? All that kind of stuff. And I remember there being a question that said, what are three things you want to do when you grow up? that you want to be when you grow up. And I remember writing um, uh, NFL quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote uh, work for ESPN mm -hmm. as a, like a sportscaster. And then I remember, I'll never forget, I wrote a singer 
on there. And then I remember being so embarrassed because I'm going, no one can do that from Buna. You can't do that. Like, no. And I remember erasing it. And I think I wrote like comedian, like in my mind, being a professional comedian, a stand comic is a, is a, is a, a more tangible option than being a singer. Um, because where I'm from, like if you look at Beaumont, it is, it is all refineries and all like oil and all that kind of stuff. So when you graduated from Buna high school, you were a guy, you had two options. Number one, you go work at a plant quickly or number two, you go to college so you can get a better job at a plant when you get out. Like that's kind of what you did. And so I, my dad has worked at the paper mill for 42 years making paper. And so for me, it just felt so out of reach, the whole singer thing. But I, and it was so weird because I remember for years going, why do I remember that? Why do I remember the fact that I raced the word singer or whatever? But I look at it now, you know, 25, 30 years later going, oh, the Lord was just wanting me to remember that when this thing actually came to fruition, that all things are possible. Like, you know, it seems like not to over spiritualize the whole thing, but really like, why would I remember that one weird detail from third grade, the first day of school? But that's just the culture that we grew up in. Like, this was not, there's no roads that lead from, from Buna to Nashville, Tennessee, let alone a paved one. Right. And so like whenever God called me to this, we just had to trust in his faithfulness, not trust in this makes a lot of economical sense, or this is a good business plan, or we really should, we've got the, the analytics in place where I think this is going to work. It was like, we don't know what we're doing, but God, you called us to be faithful and that's all we're going to do. So that is the very long version of how I got from there to, to here right now. Well, God writes incredible stories, and sometimes they come out of Buna and seal the deal in a Chili's. Micah Tyler and Michael Scott both <laughs> making it happen at the Chili's. Get done. That's, That's right. right. Again, we're here on Behind the Tunes from the Visible Music College Studios with Micah Tyler. Check him out at MicahTyler.com. Micah, do you remember the first album you bought with your own money? Yeah. So I remember buying the tape. Uh, mm. of Boys to Men, uh, the Cooley High Harmony. Mm. Uh, it was them, the, the cover was them in the red baseball caps and the white like Letterman sweaters. And and my cousin, it's, she showed me Into the Road. <laughs> I was like, this is the greatest I've ever heard in my entire life. I gotta, I gotta have more. So went to a Sam Goody and, and bought the tape. Uh, but yeah, I remember the first CD I bought, I bought, I bought singles of Mariah Carey's Hero uh tony rich project nobody knows um on the same day i bought both those two and then I, and yeah those i bought both those the same day so yeah, those are the first cds i bought all yeah. right keeping that in mind okay if you could open up for anybody dead oh, or gosh. dead or alive and just think about it in terms that you get to be there who would have been right Man, if you'd have asked me ten years ago, I would have said Michael Jackson, but it's not a really popular answer now. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a few too many documentaries come out for me to do that show. I don't get canceled, but I'll ask one. I was a kid. You know what? Uh, alive. Here's a fun one. Uh, Garth Brooks would probably be the number one, and that is just because you can't get out of Southeast Texas without just having a strong cmt you know just country music something run through and i i i listen to a ton of uh just r&b and um i mean i listened to everything growing up but garth was like one of the you know, like he was yeah. a guy so like that'd be a guy who, plus he's he's you know 50 years into doing this thing or 40 years into doing this thing and he's still selling out friggin' arenas and putting on incredible shows and so that'd probably be the alive person i would pick and like as far as I mean, I'm a huge Elvis Presley fan. Um, I think it'd be nuts to just be in the same room as where he's about to do that thing. But yeah, it's weird. Like I, I would get 
those kind of questions make me really nervous because my thing is I I know what it's like to open for Mercy Me or or Phil Wickham. And you're you're at a bit of a disadvantage whenever you go and do someone's shows playing an arena because you're going, they're here to see them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to, I'm the roadblock before you get to them. I'm the green beans on the Thanksgiving dinner table when they just want turkey. You know what I'm saying? And so, so the bigger the artist gets, the less likely people are going to be excited to see me. So when you start pulling out like the Beatles and Elvis and Michael Jackson and Garth Brooks, it's like, that feels like a really scary opportunity for me to be in. But yeah, I, was, I, I think Garth would be probably the, the easy go-to for me to be like, that would be a really fun thing to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're gonna book all. We're gonna book all the big fire hydrants. All right. Yeah. And then, and then the the final show of that tour is gonna be in the Walmart parking lot where you first heard your song, Mm. and we'll just ask uh, Garth to come play too. Now, now, if we wanted to, we could talk to George Strait because he has a song that says, "Call me the fireman." That's See? my name, and he's a Texas guy too. So, I, listen, I, no, no disrespect to George Strait; wasn't my first choice, but if he's available to, to hit up the, the big Dalmatian, I, I let his people know to my people. We'll do it. We'll send some emails. We'll send some emails out and see what happens again. Yeah. We're here on Behind the Tunes from the Visible Music College Studios with Micah Tyler. Check him out at Micah Tyler. <laughs> Dot com. Well, Michael, you've been playing live music here for a minute, and there's nothing like it, but there's some goofy stuff that happens along the way, too. Is there a most yeah. embarrassing onstage moment that sticks out to you? Uh, yeah, so the one, one that's really fun for it's, – it's really fun to remember now. And so I, 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 I had a band. We started rotating a few guys out. Some guys kind of stepped away, stuff like that. So we, so there's this summer where we just hired a whole new band. Just try, I had a weekend coming up, and all my regular guys couldn't do it. So I had three brand new players, a key, the bass, and a, and a drummer. And they're all like stellar musicians, like really, really great dudes. So, But we were playing four festival shows in a weekend. And they were, and it was the weirdest routing. We had to fly from place to place. Like we played Ohio the first show, Virginia the second show, um, Michigan, the third show, and then we ended up in Phoenix. So like, we're like literally just as, as soon as we get through playing, we're basically heading to the airport the next thing. And so we get to do the first show, and it was good, but like, you know, we're still trying to figure each other out. We didn't have a whole lot of time to rehearse and stuff. Second show gets a little better. Third show, we're rocking and rolling. And by the time we got to that fourth show in Phoenix, we're a little bit delirious because we've switched time zones three times. We're all just wiped out. But we get there, and it's this. End, it's at a Grand Canyon University. Um, uh, I remember Jeremy Cam was the headliner, then Phil Wickham, then me, and then Austin French was there. A couple other artists were there. A very a young Katie Nicole was actually had won a competition and got to sing two songs with the acoustic guitar on stage. Is where I met Katie. It was like this was like six seven years ago. Yeah. So I get out there. Um, even then, I just gone to radio. It's my third single, so never, never been a moment and different. How done their thing. So I was decently known, and uh, man, that crowd was incredible and the band was rocking and they had this big long catwalk that went out the, the middle so we get there we flew in we show up and i remember <clears throat> it was a humongous stage just gigantic and there's this big curtain that kind of was a big giant curtain they just use as a backdrop well they had it split open in half where you could kind of load all your stuff on the stage directly from the back big ramp going up there and so we had loaded everything up that way. We walked off the stage that way. They closed it all up. Show starts. We're getting going and everything. So if you look at any concert, there's a place called Monitor World. So Monitor World is where someone sees a big soundboard, and they are basically mixing what's going on inside of your ears. Like their job is to make sure that you're hearing things you want to and you're not hearing things you don't want to. And they are, my entire career, they're always 
stage left, mm-hmm. right over here. Mm-hmm. And there's a staircase going up right next to them because you grab your ear pack, you walk up the stairs, you come on stage. I have no idea why, but monitor world is to my left. But the stairs I came up on the stage were to the right, and it, which doesn't seem like a huge detail, but I'm working off of no sleep. We have switched time zones multiple times. I am just completely wiped out, exhausted. But we get there, and I'm talking about this crowd gave us life. The Lord, like, the Lord was there. It was just a super sweet. So we played this 45 minute set, and it is just blazing. The boy, these guys are just ripping their instruments. The crowd's getting into it. We're getting live, and we're going for it. It's this whole thing. It's an amazing show. And the last song of the set is different. I go. I walk the catwalk. I walk into the end of this thing. I never had a catwalk. But I walk to the end of the thing, and I say, "I want to be different in me." Thank you guys so much. And the band has like this one and a half minute long, or this one minute outro where they just start gang, 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 and they're just going for it and stuff. I say, "Thank you so much." Crowd on their feet. It's incredible. And you're thinking to yourself, "Why is this a bad story?" Well, so I go, "Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you." I walk back off the catwalk, which is a pretty good walk. I go to stage left to walk off the stage. And as I put my foot out, I realize there's no stairs. I don't fall off the stage. I kind of quickly, whoa, I gave my balance, backed up, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And I look across, and it really, this stage is about 100 feet wide. It's humongous. And I'm going, it is an eternity to get to the other side of the stage. And I remember, oh, wait, we got on from the back. I'll just go to that curtain behind the drummer, and I'll get off the stage. So I then, I wave at the crowd again, and I make a little lap behind the band. And they're going, like, where is he going? And they're like getting, they're, they're wrapping up this big, long, minute-long thing. I get behind the drummer, and I go to the curtain. And I'm, but I'm not kidding at all. I think they hired a seamstress to just sew this curtain back up. Because I am on this wall, pawing at it like I'm a giant cat. Just try, I'm just, I'm just grabbing curtains, just ripping just everywhere I can, just trying to desperately, I'm going, do I crawl under it? Like how do, so then the band is done. The, the crowd is watching me. And I and I I know what's about to happen. I'm going, I now have to make the full victory lap. And go like I just went and circled the whole stage. Like I'm just like like Jericho is in the middle of the whole thing. And I'm trying to get to the uh, and I go over there and I'm going like the crowd's looking at me like, what's he doing? The the MCs come out and they're all fired up and stuff. And I just went to the MCs and said, Can I just say something? And they said, Yeah. I said, I just want everyone to know I wasn't taking a victory lap. I just got lost. <laughs> and I walked off. And so it was it was really embarrassing, but also just I was dying laughing the whole time and it's and it's a, a fun story you get to tell, tell about now so oh i love it i wish you were just yeah. lost it you just lose you're ripping the curtain down completely i can't yeah. do this anymore get me out of yeah. here like, yeah that's that that was that was about how i felt but i was I, mean, I was desperate but i, I look like a giant cat just trying to <laughs> just paw, paw my way out of this giant curtain yeah Oh, I love it. Oh, getting ready to wrap up here with Micah Tyler on Behind the Tunes from the Visible Music College Studios where he will not have to paw his way off of no. this show. We'll wrap it up here with a little rapid fire. You got your game face. Come on. on. Let's do it. What's your favorite junk food? Ooh. Um, you know what? I mean, Topo Chico's not a junk food, I guess, but I'll go sparkling water. Just a, that's a great go-to. Just grab like I will just have something that's nice. Um, when it comes to junk food, Munchos potato chips. You ever had a Muncho? Okay. This is a really crispy, light Muncho. M U N C H O. It right. should be. A, it'll be at a gas station near the bottom. It's like, it's not like these are not like a highlighted item here. 
But a Muncho's potato chip is pretty stellar. All right, Muncho. I'll check it out. I'll check that's new for yeah. me. Not Munchies, Munchos. Yeah. What's your favorite month of the year? Oh, man. Um, Probably February is my anniversary, so it's always a really fun one. And we, my daughter's birthday is that month too. So you know, kid, I I mean, December is always just fun for me because my my year is shut. Like I'm playing my last show in two days. I get the rest of the month off. Christmas is coming around. I get to hang up the fam. So December is always a hot one. But yeah, I, I probably December or February too. Can you name one of the seven dwarfs? Happy, Doc, Sleepy, Grumpy, uh, Bashful, uh-huh. Dopey. Mm-hmm. There's one more. Who am I missing? Sleazy? No. <laughs> sneezy. Sneezy. Is it yeah. sne- is there a, is it- a sneeze? Look at you. Look at him I go. An eighth one. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's in the that's in the spinoff. Sleazy. Yeah. What color? Oh, what dish do you cook best? I make a pretty good spaghetti. Okay. That's kind of the, that's the kids' go-to favorite for that. And also, I I developed a recipe with Chick Fil A. I'll get the Chick Fil A nugget tray, and we'll eat as much as we can, and then like leave the rest, and I can make Chick Fil A sadias the next day. <laughs> which is, dude, I'm just telling you, you throw a Chick Fil A nugget in a quesadilla, buddy. I mean, if Chick-fil-A's listening right now, I'll I'll give you the recipe real fast, but I make some mean Chick-fil-A sadillas. Listen, between the Beaumont Chamber of Commerce and Chick-fil-A, you may make some money off this thing. This show We're may, trying real may hard. get you taken care of. What color is your toothbrush? Black. In the movie about your life, the Micah Tyler story, what actor would play you? So the same the same, this is this is another one of those Michael Jackson answers. When I when I was a kid in third grade, they asked that question on the same paper they asked which one to be when you grow up. And that was the day that I found out I made the best joke of my life. I thought it was hilarious. From third grade until about six, seven years ago, the answer was always Bill Cosby. <laughs> I thought it was, when I was in third grade, like who played in a movie? I was like, Bill Cosby. Because I think it would just be the funniest thing for Bill Cosby to play me as a third grader. Just a little white third grader. Just have Bill Cosby around a bunch of other kids. I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever, the joke I ever made. And again, much like Michael Jackson, I can't really have Bill Cosby playing me in a movie now. I wouldn't go over as well in the box office. So, I mean, I, you know, that would be the answer. That, 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 yeah, that, that's, the, I mean, that's the only answer I can think of right now. Well, listen. Uh, maybe listen. Jack Black. No, Jack Black is, would be easy enough. This is a safe space. We're going to go with Bill. Okay. We're going to keep Bill. I'm in. opening for Michael Jackson. I got <laughs> Bill Cosby playing in a movie. What could go wrong? <laughs> well, I hope you like Buna. <laughs> You're going to want to uh, lay low for a while. <laughs> yeah, for real. If you yeah. could be any Marvel character, who would it be? Oh, great. Um, sheesh, I want somebody to have some real powers. I mean, Thor would be awesome. That's a really, I get to fly around, which is a real treat. Uh, yeah, also, I, I don't want to be like Tony Stark. That's just money. That's a money thing. Captain America, steroids. Yeah. Uh, the Hulk, out of control. I will we'll probably, we'll probably stick with, yeah, I'll probably stick with, with Thor. That'd That's be a good one. Out. That's a good one. What's your favorite yeah. board game? <sighs> Sheesh. Um, I, love, I love card games. I love Phase 10. Oh, it's a classic. Phase 10. It's a great uh, classic. Game. My wife and I love to go on the back porch, a lot of fire out there. I love Phase 10. We haven't played something called Shut the Box. It's all on TikTok. It's okay. a dice game. You roll these little, these little uh, guys... Uh, little wooden panels with numbers one through ten. They flip up, and then you roll it. If you roll that number, you have to flip it down. And it's the first person going back and forth. You can flip, shut the box, flip all your little things. In. So that's been a real popular one around my house the last couple of weeks. But Phase Ten is probably like a, an all timer for me. That's a good one. Both of those sound good. Favorite cartoon growing up? Oh man, He Man was a, a great one. 
You know, I wasn't allowed to watch you, man. Why not? I don't know. It's one of those things. I don't know. Okay. Superpowers. Like a superpower. You know. (laughs) Could you watch could you watch Smurfs? I could watch Smurfs. I I had a friend of mine growing up, couldn't watch Smurfs, thought it was a cult. I love the Smurfs. Yeah. I love the Smurfs. It's a little dark. It's a good one. It's a little dark. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little culty, but you know, you can get past <laughs> hey, it. Hey, look, we all got a little cult in us, you know? I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, listen, Bill Cosby played me in a movie, so I don't really have a whole lot of room to judge right now. So here we are. So far, you know, never mind. We'll go. All right. What 12 year old do you think you're cool? I think so. Yeah. I think, you know, but also, it's just, you know. Yeah. I, I, I'm living out the dream that that kid didn't know was okay to have. Yeah. So cool. I would think, I think it's pretty, pretty cool. That is cool. That is cool. And last but not least, something you hate that everyone else loves. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a deep, dark secret. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> and this is, this is an absolute phobia since I was a kid. Okay. I, and I wouldn't say that everyone loves this, but this is just mutually acceptable. Like just, just generally everyone is just like, doesn't argue with this. I am disgusted and hate a paper napkin, buddy. I'm just telling you there is something. Okay. So this is, this is, I'm just letting you all the way in here. Okay. Let's go. If I'm at a restaurant and there's a paper napkin, if it, I, I can use it one time. If it's not creased, if it's not folded in some kind of way, it's just straight. I can use it, but then that's it. I'm done with it from now on. Now, if we're going somewhere bougie like the Olive Garden and they give you a cloth napkin, I'm great. But I legitimately, I eat very neatly because I don't, I've, I've learned that I, I can't use a napkin in public. So I just eat very, very clean. Like I don't have food on me or whatever. I very neat, very clean, very tidy. But yeah, like that is an absolute. If, if you want to just make my skin crawl, if you want me to tell you the nuclear codes and I've got them somehow, <laughs> just sidle up next to me with a dirty napkin and I am going to tell you everything I ever, I'll tell you every secret I ever had. Is this Roses always me been, out. Has this always been just, that way your whole life? Yeah, yeah. Like there is this fear. I think what it is, there's this fear that, if I touch a napkin that has a food, first of all, I have, once it's balled up, I have no idea what that thing's been for. I don't know what's happened. But if for a split second, it sticks to me in some kind of a way, or if the paper comes off and there's paper on my, I'm just telling you, kill me now. I'm out. I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to keep going. I, that's, that, that's a very graphic way of saying it. But look, honestly though, it, it just, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out of here. All you napkin lovers, acceptors, I'm happy for you. But like, if I eat with someone and they do the whole thing where they just got a napkin in their palm and it's like a, it's like a, like they just, it just can, it's just disintegrating as they're talking to me. I don't know the last 15 minutes of the conversation. I'm a horrible dinner guest in that situation. So this is incredible. Like, but now I just, as you talk about it, I just feel dirty. I'm just like, well, now I, I feel like an no animal. judgment. No, no judgment. I'm, I know this is a problem with me. This is not a problem with society. And that's the thing. When you ask the question, like, what does everyone else love and you hate? I mean, it's not like I'm talking about like a music act. Right. Like I don't Florence and the Machine. I don't get. She sounds like a very, very angry cat. I'm not into that. 
people love that. But this is one of those things where it's just like, this is a generally accepted part of life. For some reason, the Lord has crafted me in such a way that I just cannot, I cannot accept it. I cannot get past it. It's your thorn in the side. It's your thorn in the side. His paper grace towels is are, like, like in a bathroom, when I wash my hands and there's paper towels, paper towels are easier than a napkin. They're not going to break apart. But I can pull it off there and I'm doing like this. And if I throw it in the trash can, and it misses. I've got to get a clean paper towel and pick that thing up. I can't. I don't know why. It's a strange OCD. But we'll see Bill Cosby try to tackle the roll. Yeah. So listen, <laughs> we're, when we uh, when we get this uh, this fire hydrant tour going, we'll yeah. uh, we're gonna figure out what happened to you. We're gonna figure out what cloth happened. Nap- cloth napkins only at catering. Okay, that's my one request. From the rider. Yeah. If I, see, rider. if I see if I see a paper napkin, I'm not playing. Yeah. I'm out. You take a book from the Outback Steakhouse, a fancy restaurant with a cloth napkin. That's that's what we're looking for here. Something I can, some, yeah, something I can see what's happening. It's not going to come apart on me. Good substance. I'm also going to eat very nearly, so I won't use it that often. I won't even use it that much. But I want to, in, in in case of emergency, I just need something that's been sewn as opposed to be a. Uh, manufactured this might be my favorite one yet i love everything about this he's micah tyler here on behind the tunes from the visible music college studios check him out at micahtyler.com micah you've been a ton of fun man thanks so much for stopping by today hey what a blast thanks for uh, letting me sit here inside the heat uh, in north dakota and, and talk to you about a lot of a lot of interesting uh, topics you got it you've been listening to behind the tunes with austin black produced by grayson rucker A special thank you to our sponsor, Visible Music College, a music and worship school that trains and disciples students for the music industry and the church. You can learn more about them at visible.edu. And you can reach the show at behindthetunes at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next time as we go Behind the Tunes.